Hey, it's Brandon here and I have some big news. Seven Figure Millennials is now beyond curious. I am so excited for this new brand and I would highly encourage you to go check out episode number 140 for all of the juicy details. But as a teaser for episode 140, the central question for Seven Figure Millennials, the original show from the beginning was, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? I spent over 1,000 hours researching this question and published 139 episodes. And after all of that, I have an answer. And I put together that answer in a legit masterclass that weaves together clips from previous guests all to answer that question. So if you wanna hear my answer, the why behind Beyond Curious and the vision moving forward, go check out episode number 140. But you are here listening to this episode, which I know is amazing, but I would just highly recommend you also check out episode number 140 for the full explanation behind the rebrand. All right, here's your episode. And welcome to another episode of the Seven Figure Millennials Podcast, where it is my job to help you to prioritize your happiness, health, and relationships while making your biggest entrepreneurial dreams a reality. And if you were wondering, what the heck did you just say, Brandon? Sawadikhap is actually how you say hello in Thai if you are a guy. So there is your fun fact for the day. But no, I am not going to be giving you a lesson in Thai today because I think I only know like three words total, (laughs) but I do want to introduce you to today's guest, Tim Schur. Tim, after spending 32 years of studying human behavior, facilitating over 15,000 individual hypnosis sessions and working with dozens of Fortune 500 companies, has discovered the precise methods for shifting people from surviving to thriving. His programs have helped sales professionals increase conversions by 300% and win lots of company awards. And Tim is the host of the How to Be Mesmerizing podcast, creator of the Global Legends Summit, and author of six books, including his newest one, which is called One Belief Away. And this is not a part of his official bio, but I just wanted to add on here that if you go on his YouTube channel, you can see some of the absolutely incredible stories of the people that he's impacted through his work. And I'm a huge fan of showing, not telling. And you can see some crazy stories of how he's leveraged his hypnosis skills to help someone like Larry to break a gambling addiction in like 30 minutes. And this is somebody that was spending 400 dollars a month uh, and eventually spent over $144,000 on the Powerball. And there's another video he has of helping a weatherman overcome a huge fear of spiders and having this guy put a tarantula on his arm after a 10-minute session. All these crazy things from helping people to lose 150 pounds and from somebody that went from beating breast cancer to becoming a bodybuilder at age 50. So anyways, I just wanted to add that because I always love talking to people that can show, not tell about their work. But Tim is the real deal and I'm excited for you to listen to today's podcast. In this episode, you're going to learn three specific things. Number one, I want you to look out for the story of how when Tim was 12 years old, he got a call and found out that his dad, who worked at a steel mill, was set on fire during a freak accident. And what that story actually has to do with you getting to the next level in your life and business. Number two, five steps that you can take to uncover and destroy unconscious stories and beliefs that you have that may be hurting you more than you know. And number three, how you can overcome achiever syndrome and stop beating yourself up so much, which I think is a super common thing that we do as entrepreneurs, and we talk about how to overcome that in today's episode. And before we dive in, one last thing is a pre-show listener shout out to John Davey, who left a review saying, Brandon provides great insights and interviews to help you grow your business. So thank you so much, John, for leaving that review. And if you're listening to this and you haven't left a review, please do so. Not only does it make my day, but it helps more people to discover the show, and I might give you 
a pre-show listener shout out in a future episode. So without any further ado, please enjoy this conversation with my friend, Tim Schur. If you had to pick between A, making a ton of money, B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Bigger Millennials Podcast. Well, Mr. Tim Schur, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here. Hey, it's a privilege to be on your program, Brandon. Awesome. This is going to be a blast. And one of the places I would love to start is I was walking, watching a presentation that you did, and you tell this incredibly powerful story. And I think that this would be a great place to kick things off and set the scene for people. So if you wouldn't mind telling the story about when you were 12 years old and you get a call on the phone, what happened that day and what was that story? Oh, yeah, that was life-changing for me and not in a good way. <laughs> so uh, I grew up in uh, northern Indiana. My dad was an electrician at a steel mill. And uh, I was 12 years old at the time. So I pick up the phone and I'm like, hello. And this woman says, uh, honey, get your mom. There's been an accident. And when they say accident at a steel mill, that's never good. And so, you know, I, I panicked and my mom happened to be at the grocery store and I called my uncle Donnie and I'm like, oh my gosh, what do we do? And he says, we'll be okay. I'm on my way over. And, and uh, what had happened was my dad was working on one of these big electrical panels And while he was in there with the screwdriver and his buddy Bill was in there with the flashlight, um, someone turned the box on, the panel on, and boom, it blew up and caught my dad on fire and burned him uh, 40% of his body, third degree burns, and and Bill got burned as well. And I didn't see my dad for the next couple of months. And when I did see him, you know, they wheeled him out in a wheelchair and he was all wrapped up from head to toe. He looked like a mummy. And uh, I didn't know what to do. And in my brain, something shifted inside of me. Instead of playing life to win, I was playing not to lose. I was always trying to figure out how do I not lose? How do I not get hurt? Um, Something bad could happen at any moment. The rug can be yanked out from underneath me and I'm not going to be safe. Now, I didn't know that consciously these ideas and beliefs were forming in my mind. They were unconscious, but they were affecting me all the way through my adult life. In fact, most of the experiences that we have as a kid, they form beliefs And these beliefs are like programs. Uh, They're like apps that are in our hard brain of our hard drive of our brain. And these apps, these programs, these beliefs are running our lives as adults. And so if you're struggling with money or you're struggling in relationships or you're struggling with confidence or you feel like a fraud or you have trouble focusing or you procrastinate on high value activities, that's all because of these programs, these beliefs that we picked up as kids. And nobody knows that. We tend to think we're missing a marketing strategy, a sales approach, that we need to be uh, an influencer, that we're somehow missing something outside. But one of the things that I've learned over 32 years of studying us is that, um, you know, if you learn to go within, you never go without. And mm. so that was a pretty scary, uh, life-changing experience for me. And, and it took a long time for me to figure out how to uh, change those beliefs that uh, occurred that day when I was 12. 
Man, that's so, thank you for sharing that. And I love that it ties directly into the work that you're doing today. And there are a few things I kind of want to unpack from that story. So first, I would love to just get a little bit more details. I can only imagine as a 12-year-old, you know, you go through this experience and, you know, maybe people tell you stories of what to expect the day that you see your dad after he's been terribly burned. Can you kind of maybe walk us through more specifically what happened that day and maybe set the scene? What was going on in your mind as a 12-year-old? Yeah, that would have uh, been nice if someone was there explaining, but oh, they didn't. <laughs> nobody, nobody's there explaining. We just don't know what to expect. And yeah. um, so, you know, my mom ended up going to and basically moving into the Loyola burn unit in uh, Illinois and uh, to try to help my dad fight for his life. And good news is he did make it. He survived. He had scars all over. Uh, I always say that he had scars on the outside. We all had scars on the inside. <laughs> and um, uh, so he made it and, you know, he's a pretty cool guy. So he, uh, you know, would be the first one to take his shirt off and go for a swim in the summertime, scars and all, you know, so it didn't let him hold him back. In fact, he even finished out his term and, you know, in the mill <laughs> so that he could get his pension. Yeah. So, which is amazing because um, the steel mill didn't treat him very well. They didn't do much for him. So uh, I moved in my, myself and my sister uh, moved into our grandparents' house. So in a blink of an eye, you know, we're like, our parents are gone. We're living somewhere else. We don't know what's going to happen. We're constantly living in uncertainty. You know, it hurt us obviously financially. So we're, you know, struggling financially and trying to figure out how we're going to deal with, you know, paying the bills and getting through and surviving. Um, Now, my grandparents were very loving and, and they did a great job of taking care of us, but it was still very stressful and and then uh, going to visit my dad was scary because when you're walking through a burn unit, you hear people screaming and yelling because they're all in pain or they're all drugged up, you know, on um, morphine, trying to help people deal with the pain of it all. Uh, getting burned is horrible. Healing from burns is maybe even worse because of what they have to do. And when they wheeled my dad out, all I remember is is um, his fingernails. Well, he didn't have fingernails anymore. They were all just like really crispy kind of black burnt, you know, fingertips. And he was wrapped from head to toe because they were pulling skin grafts from his legs and putting sheets of skin on his body. I mean, it's really, it was insane. And so, you know, I just had all these worries and fears that you're not safe and something horrible could happen all the time. And it just got into my brain and, and, uh, you know, made me very anxious and very scared. And, and then it just seemed like that kind of fear attracts more things to be afraid of because I was always yeah. focusing on what's going to go wrong. I seemed to attract every bully there was, <laughs> you know, because I was just afraid. And so that's, you know, bullies love that kind of power struggle and, and uh, they're attracted to people who give off that fear vibe. And so, um, you know, just uh, dealing with the bullies and everything else, it just kept creating these uh, ideas in my mind and reinforcing this belief that, that I'm not safe. The world is not a safe place and bad things could happen and you could run out of money. You could run out of um, happiness. You could run out of um, people being there for you. You know, it's just constant fear of lack and running out and being afraid. And I would have those feelings that would show up, you know, later on as an adult when everything was going great, you know, things would be fine. I'd be doing well. I'd be making money. You know, I'd I'd be happy in a relationship. Things would be going fine. And all of a sudden I would get these pangs of anxiety. Like, don't let your guards down too much. 
because something bad could happen and catch you off guard and you could lose it all. Yeah. So I, I wanted to, I wanted to clarify something too, because one of the things that you said that was so powerful is you started playing not to lose. And one of the things that there's this quote that I hear all the time, I love quoting, but it's like, you can't read the label from inside the jar. And so many of these things that are going on in our lives is recurring patterns. We don't even realize that they're a pattern or that they're anything that's abnormal because it's just who we are. So how did you, was there a moment when you realized that this was something that was plaguing you and that was affecting you? Like what was the, how did you bring conscious awareness to this being a, a theme that was running and controlling your life for so much of it? So it was a process of, you know, insights and experiences that caused those aha moments where you start realizing, oh my gosh, because of this, this is how I'm feeling. And, um, and so I went to school for psychology because I figured that's where they teach you how your mind works and how to feel more peaceful. But I was learning the tools and the theories and, the psychological um, experiments that they had run and trying to understand human behavior, but it seemed very slow and it didn't seem to produce very fast results. And then when I was in my sophomore year um, in my bachelor's program, they had guest speakers that were coming in and one of them happened to be a hypnotist. And Mm -hmm. so this hypnotist asked for an, uh, volunteer and I didn't know anything about hypnosis. So I'm like, yeah, I'll cluck like a chicken. And that's what everybody (laughs) says. And so, um, so I went up and, and, uh, he started talking to me and told me I'd feel very relaxed, but I'd still know what was going on. And that's exactly what happened. I closed my eyes and I was listening to him and I could hear everybody giggling in the audience, the other students, but I didn't care. And then all of a sudden he told me I was going to feel this really warm wave of relaxation move through my body. And I felt it. And I'm like, Whoa, what is this? And then all of a sudden, I noticed that that knot that I carried around with me all the time, that anxiety wasn't there anymore. And I'm like, what is this? I mean, this is what I've been hoping for my whole life, and I'm having it. And I just felt this sense of peace and calm and security. And then the hypnotist said that I'm going to feel more confident all week long. And then I did. You know, he had me come out of the hypnosis, and everybody clapped, and I went back to my seat, and I felt so mellow and peaceful. So I've, I've helped people get off a lot of drugs and alcohol over my career. And I always say that I'm going to teach you how to get high on hypnosis because it's way <laughs> better. And, and it is. And so, um, so that whole week I felt more confident, more peaceful, more at ease. It was so different than what I was used to. And I'm like, what I got hooked on it. I'm like, I have to learn more about this. Now, of course, the anxiety came back because I was good at doing anxiety, even though sure. I didn't know that I was creating the anxiety. You know, I thought it was like you said, it was happening to me. Life is just hard. God doesn't like me. I'm not lucky. Things don't seem to work out for me. You know, I have to fight for everything. And, um, you know, life's unfair. And all those beliefs were causing me to have an experience like that. It wasn't that life was like that. It's the story I was telling myself that caused me to filter life in that way. Mm. So you have this experience as a kid and you, you're all always anxious. And then you have this crazy experience that was like an incredible realization of the power of what it would be like to kind of have that absolved. So I'm assuming that kind of like hot fudge Sunday effect of having this experience and then this hypno- hyp- hypnosis, you're like, oh my gosh, I need to do more of that. So I'm assuming, was that kind of like the triggering moment where like, I need to study this full time? Is that how you started to move into hypnosis and NLP and all the stuff you do today? Um, yes, but it was slower than that because I got excited about it and I was asking more of our professors and they were much more behavioral minded. I went to Indiana University and, you know, B.F. Skinner was taught there 
and he was very all very much about behavior modification. So they didn't really believe in things like hypnosis. So I started reading books and it would be another year or two before uh, I actually found a hypnosis school. And then while I was working on my, um, I graduated with my bachelor's, I went and got my first hypnosis certification, which I loved. It blew my mind where we they were talking about so many cool things and and how the mind works and how hypnosis has been around for thousands of years, even though they didn't call it hypnosis and, um, and how fast people get results because you're changing what's going on in the unconscious mind and your unconscious mind controls 80% or more of what you do. And I didn't know that either. Right. And I'm like, this is a fascinating. And then of course they were the hypnotist, Dr. Gisela Zuskowski. <laughs> she was, yeah, it was all medical doctors and me you know, kid working on his bachelor's in psych. And, um, and they would bring in patients, live clients, you know, they'd be like, I won't charge you if you let me do a demonstration in front of our class. And so I saw people that were smoking for 30 or 40 years, stop smoking in one session and never go back. I saw people who had no confidence, suddenly have confidence. You know, I've watched people overcome all kinds of bad habits. And I was like, this is absolutely amazing. And she said, it's because we're changing the programs in their unconscious mind. And, and I was, and I just was like amazed by this. And then I went and started working towards my master's degree and they weren't teaching any of this stuff. I'm like, why aren't you using any of this stuff? And, uh, and they still don't to this day, they don't use a lot of these interventions, which I don't know why hypnosis, neurolinguistic programming, they're starting to adapt more of it, um, instead of the traditional talk therapy, but, um, yeah. So those experiences. And then of course, you know, Dr. Z, she put us in the hot seat and she said, what do you want? And uh, I said, you know, I was still skeptical for myself. And I was like, I had that, you know, prove it, you know, let's see kind of attitude. And um, I had bit my nails, you know, one of my nervous habits for my whole life. I mean, I remember my evil uncle pouring hot sauce on my fingers, you know, oh, and then God. still putting them in my mouth and, and burning. And, you know, I tried sitting on my hands, putting band-aids on my fingers, nothing seemed to work. So she does this hypnosis session and shows me how, you know, my insecurities as a kid were causing this to happen and how instead of picking and chewing and hurting and attacking myself, how to smooth it out, how to be more loving and soothing and peaceful. Well, I didn't know anything about being loving or soothing. I was very much uh, my own worst enemy and an inner critic and always being mean to myself. And so uh, when I started doing that, uh, it felt more peaceful and that urge disappeared. And, you know, that was like, I don't know, 27 years ago, maybe and still, <laughs> still not chewing my nails. <laughs> and so, you know, that's that one session, you know, now 27 years later, it's still working uh, is pretty amazing. That's incredible. There's yeah. one sentence that you said there. I also want to ask, because I feel like this is a very common theme for entrepreneurs. And you said you are always mean to yourself. And as, as an entrepreneur, it's so easy to be judgmental of your work and like, oh, I could have done more. or I could have been more effective today or something like that. So, I mean, is there any advice that you would give to entrepreneurs that are hard on themselves? Because I feel like you naturally have to do it, but you don't, you don't have to do it. And it's actually life is a lot better if you're not mean to yourself. So <laughs> any advice yeah. to somebody that, that suffers from that, that you can help them with? Yeah, Brandon, that's an, you know, an, an excellent question. So um, when I got my master's degree, I opened up my first practice in 1995. It was a hypnosis practice because that was getting the fastest results. It's called professional hypnosis and counseling. <laughs> long practice, long title. But anyway, um, uh, 
it was during that time that I became an entrepreneur. I became a small business owner. And so I've been doing it ever since. That's what, 26, 27 years ago, something like that. And so um, uh, I've learned a lot about entrepreneurs and what we go through. And what you're describing is what I call achiever syndrome. And achiever syndrome is when on when we've learned how to take that anxiety, that fear of not being good enough, that chip on our shoulder, you think I can't do it, I'll show you, you know, that rebellion side of us, and we channel it into productivity. And entrepreneurs accomplish more in a day than most people get done in a week or even a month. Entrepreneurs are amazing. That's why there's only about 3% of them in our whole population that are really entrepreneurs. So I have a huge respect for people with that mindset. The problem with it, though, being driven from anxiety or a place of wanting to prove yourself is that on the other side of it is the insecurity. And that insecurity, feeling like a fraud, having imposter syndrome, beating ourselves up for not having more momentum and making more progress or not knowing what to do and then feeling stupid or feeling like a loser or feeling weak because we should be strong enough and smart enough to be able to do it on our own. Um, Envy, watching all these other people, half of them who are lying, you know, telling us how great their life is and, you know, and how much money they're making and everything else. And that just instead of us feeling inspired, often it makes us feel worse about ourselves. That all comes back to those beliefs. And we entrepreneurs are into personal development as long as it's fast and it's fun. And we think we get a new tool or a new process or a new strategy. We're down for that. We'll do that. But if we have to go deeper than that, if we have to go real deep into our mind and our emotions, entrepreneurs don't want to do that because one, it feels like it's slowing me down. We don't like to go slow. Two, it's making us go look at our yucky stuff. We don't like to do that. We'd rather just keep running fast. You know, that's why entrepreneurs like Shark Tank, because sharks always have to keep moving. If they stop, they drown. We, sure. <laughs> we resonate with that, right? And then the third part of it is that, um, uh, you know, I don't, a lot of times we don't trust a lot of people. You know, we're afraid to go there. And uh, so instead of saying that we're afraid, we just talk about we're stressed. You know, we're we're stressed. And so, yeah, so entrepreneurs struggle with this uh, as much as anybody else. And um, it's just sometimes we talk ourselves out of doing the stuff that needs to be done first. I've, I've, of all these years, almost three decades, Brandon, I've learned that it's not the marketing plan. It's not the new sales approach. It's not being an influencer on Instagram or wherever else. It really is about understanding what's going on inside of your mind that's pushing you, that's driving you to have all this stuff or be this way, or that's driving your inner critic. And if you go address that, that's how you have the life balance and the fulfillment. And that's what your show is all about. Yeah, we want to have material wealth and abundance, yet without the fulfillment and feeling good about yourself, having 100% self-confidence, loving others and being in healthy relationships, taking care of your own health instead of sacrificing it because you got too much stuff to get done. You know, that's what your program's all about and why I wanted to be on it and, and support you. Thank you. you so much. I appreciate that. So to to dive into something very specific. So you you labeled it, named it, labeled it achiever syndrome, which I love that. And I think you painted a very clear picture. I think I'm sure we got lots of people that are nodding their heads like, yeah, I totally resonate with that. So are there any specific tips that we can do to dive in and help like 
ease that or because I, I totally I was like maybe it's because your hypnotist voice or whatever I was just like sucked in because like part of the reason why I believe that I came, became an entrepreneur is it was I was young and there was this situation where I didn't have that many financial resources growing up and so I felt like I had to overcompensate and do other stuff and that's definitely so I definitely saw that part of myself in that story that you were sharing there and then I definitely see the other side of it as well so for people that that do suffer from that are there like you know you, you have a few I know you just talked about you know wanting a few you quick tips, but is there, is there, do we have to go inside more or how, how can we accomplish and beat achiever syndrome? Great question. I got a five-step strategy that I'll give you right now that comes right out cool. of my One Belief Away book that is uh, very effective and it will help you to start to identify these beliefs and upgrade them quickly. Before we do that, though, if we could backtrack just for a second, because something that you just said was very powerful and profound and so many of us struggle with that. If you grew up and you didn't have a lot of resources or you had them and then they were stripped away for whatever reason, okay, it causes us to feel like I never want to be in that situation again. Mm -hmm. Most of the entrepreneurs that we love have stories like that, where they started out like Tony Robbins is a perfect example. His whole story about having four dads and living on the streets and, you know, his 300 square foot apartment and just how rough it was for him and then how he was the millionaire wonder boy and then he lost it all. He had the big beard. I mean, he goes through this whole origin story, right, of of, um, how he was struggling in that way. And that causes us to overachieve. And the problem with with that being what drives us is that no matter what you have, it'll never feel like it's enough. I remember having $1,000 in a bank account, and I remember having $100,000 in a bank account and having the exact same feeling. As soon as it dipped under $100,000 or $1,000, oh my God, I'm going to run out of money. I'm going to lose it. So, and of course, $1,000 and $100,000 is quite a spread. But in my brain, it did not matter. And I had a friend tell me who is much older than me, I'm always seeking the guidance of mentors and people who are older than me who have been down the road, uh, farther down the road that that uh, I'm on, you know, so that I don't have to walk in the same potholes. Uh, He said that there's no such thing as a magic number that gives you security, no matter what you think it is, because, you know, if it's $5 million, you'll buy a $4 million house and you'll find yourself in the same situation. You'll feel like you're just broke at a higher level. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I mean, yeah, there's, there's so much that I've worked on internally and I definitely feel like, and I've, I've learned this from plenty of guests where it's like the, the best happiness in life does not come like I just interviewed uh, somebody and depending on when you're listening to this, it may or may not have aired, but this guy named Josh Fonger and he like, he lost everything. And he's like that, that whole thing taught me is that the most important things in life cannot be stripped away from you. And so I feel like you lose sight of that so easily when you get chased in this, this rat race of catching all these incredible shiny objects and that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I definitely am somebody that, you know, as much material wealth as I may continue to amass that it's like, I don't really need the big house and the fancy cars and stuff like that to be happy. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's definitely something that I really appreciate you sharing that, that, that difference of the, the thousand, the hundred thousand inside of your bank account <laughs> and that it doesn't yeah. really matter. Well, the big house and the big car will make you unhappy after you have it for about a couple of weeks. Right. <laughs> and I say that and people are like, no way. But if you spend $60,000 on a car, $100,000 on a dream car that you love. And now all of a sudden it gets a scratch on it, or now you're paying this insurance, or now you have to get a tire for it. And it's a thousand dollars to get a tire. You know, it's the stuff that we don't think about. And we end up working 
to cover our overhead. And so many entrepreneurs find themselves in that situation that you're basically working for your mortgage payment now, that you don't have that time freedom. You feel like you can't get away from it. Now you can't stop. Being an entrepreneur is supposed to give you that laptop lifestyle so you could travel around the world and have all this free time. Well, most entrepreneurs, it's the exact opposite. You're working 100 hours a week. You know, people are priding themselves on, I only sleep three hours a day. That's dumb. That's not a badge of honor. That's dumb, right? That's uh, that's where you ruin your health to try to get somewhere and it's not worth it. And so uh, I've seen this so many times where people feel like I'm supposed to have all this free time and live my life the way I want. And now I feel like I'm on this hamster wheel that I created and I can't get off of it. And if I try to get off of it, I feel guilty if I'm with my friends or hanging out with my girlfriend or boyfriend or with my kids, then I feel like I should be working. And when I'm working, I feel like I should be hanging out with them and having fun. And no matter where I'm at, I'm not happy. I'm not living in the present moment anymore. And if I stop, I feel like it's going to all collapse down on me. And it's so much pressure all the time. Yeah. So how do we not do that? So, so, I mean, <laughs> you, you work, you work with lots of the unconscious programming. And if this is something that we've identified as a commonality for entrepreneurs, there's this quote that it's actually come up a few times on the show by Carl Jung, I believe it's until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. And I, I love that this is the work that you do. And this is a recurring theme that I'm hearing on the show, which I love so much is the fact that the more you can unpack your unconscious, the more you realize the, um, the, the how much your conscious mind doesn't have as much of an impact that con- the unconscious mind actually does. So I think, I don't know if this ties into the, the five, the five parts of your one belief away, but how do we go about, is there, is there any strategies or things that you teach about how we can begin to make this unconscious more conscious? Yes. So I'm going to share the five-step strategy with you because it's cool. something that you can do easily right now on your own. So when I'm taking people through my master classes, I'm getting into their mind and taking them right to the core beliefs. Uh, and upgrading them then and there, which is really great, but you know that's difficult to do on your own, and and we don't have the time to be able to do that here. So instead, sure. I'm going to give you the uh, do-it-yourself approach. So step number one is write down what you're afraid of. Now, people might say, "Well, I'm not afraid. You know, I just get stressed." Okay, well, what's stressing you out the most then? What's your biggest stress? Because stress is code word for fear. You know, if you look underneath, well, I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to scale my business. You know, what would you have to believe? And this is step two. What would you have to believe in order to feel that way? Right. So step one is what are you afraid of or what's your biggest stress? Step two is what would you have to believe in order to feel that? I'd have to believe that, um, you know, we're not going to be able to, uh, you know, figure it out. Right. Or I'm not going to be smart enough to uh, figure this out on my own right? There's, and then you, why not? Well, I don't know. You know, if you keep asking yourself that, where'd you get that belief from, right? Um, According to who, you know, did you have that belief, uh, you know, when you were born or did you pick it up from someone else? Did you see someone else growing up um, that was always struggling and never quite made the breakthrough or who made the breakthrough, but they had to sacrifice everyone, including you to get it? Or, you know, where's that, uh, where's that belief coming from? Yeah. So I want, I want to, 
I was gonna hopefully I was gonna pause you here really quickly. I'm I just want to I'm interested if this is this ties full circle from the very beginning. Do you find that after you work walk people through this process and you help them strip through many layers, that many times the belief behind the feeling goes back to something that happened in childhood? Maybe not having your your father burned or something crazy story as you tell, but is that do you find that this is kind of how we can uncover uh, that that those stories and things that happen in childhood that are kind of running our lives. <laughs> yeah. 99% of the time. Yes. Mm. 99% of the time, every once in a while, it's an issue that happened, you know, a few days ago or a month ago or something like that. But almost all of the uh, beliefs that we have that are both empowering us and holding us back and sabotaging us um, are from childhood. So is that what we're looking at getting to? So is it kind of like you keep, so what is the fear? And then you keep asking what's the belief behind that feeling and like kind of like a marker that we should be looking for is like, did we go far back enough that it's like something that has been ingrained in me for as long as I can remember? Is that kind of something we should look for? Yeah, because, well, so I've done thousands and thousands of these sessions, right? Individual sessions, about 15,000 of them actually. Uh, <laughs> and not to mention all the groups and master classes. So uh, I've been doing this for a long, long time with people from all over the world, all different cultures. And uh, it's the same core beliefs. And the and the main core belief that sabotages us the most, that's most responsible for anxiety and insecurity, which I think insecurity is the biggest dis-ease on the planet, is the fear that I'm not good enough. And because I'm not enough, I won't be loved. So then we develop all these coping strategies for how do I get love? Well, if I have enough money, if I'm successful, if I'm famous, if I'm an influencer, if I have fancy stuff, you know, then I'll be loved. Right. And so that's what we're always trying to get after. The problem is that we sabotage our relationships to get those things. So we're actually keeping ourselves from having the love and that we want. But yeah. the fear of rejection, the fear of failure, the fear of embarrassment, the fear of humiliation, the fear of being abandoned, the fear of success, they all stem down to that one core fear of I'm not enough. I'm not good that's, enough. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, or maybe if I'm just pulling this out of my ass, but, <laughs> but I feel like this is something where it's like, it goes back to our tribal roots, right? Like when we were like in our, as our ancestors are roaming around, like you needed the tribe to survive. Like you couldn't just be out in the wild by yourself, otherwise you would die. And so these feelings of not feeling enough were really fears of being stripped away from the community that protects your, your, your whole being and your self sense of being alive. Yeah, it's, that's exactly right. Well done. And your brain had to come up with some kind of mechanism, uh, our brains did, to, uh, to keep us with the pack, to keep us with others, and to keep us out of danger. And so it developed the, what we call today the fight or flight response. Mm -hmm. And it's like this fire alarm. But these days, the fire alarm keeps getting pulled and triggered and there's no fire. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when we see somebody who looks different than us, it triggers that that fire alarm just because back in the tribal days, you know, when we were cave people, if you saw people that you didn't know, that means you could die. Right. right. So you have to fight or you have to run away. If you heard a rustling in the bushes, uh, that could be a snake or an animal uh, in the dark. We don't like the you know, fear of the dark. It's because there's animals in caves in the dark that could eat you. So there's reasons why we developed all these fears. Your brain doesn't think that it's it thinks it's trying to help you. Your brain thinks it's trying to protect you. But the way that it shows up is we're procrastinating. We're putting things off. We're staying busy, but we're not productive. We're not focusing on high value activities. We're focusing on all the other millions of things 
because we feel uncomfortable going and doing those bigger activities because there might we might get rejected. We might feel like a failure. People might laugh at us or ridicule us. And so we we resist going in those places. And again, one of the things that I've observed over the years is that your biggest breakthroughs are hidden in the places you don't want to go. They're hidden in those places that you keep putting off and resisting. And if you purposely go in that direction, you're going to have the breakthroughs and the payoffs you desire. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. So, so I, I mean, I, I've been on quite the journey over the past few months and I found that to be very true is the, the things that I've suppressed and I won't go into that. And I've shared those on other podcasts, but the things that I did not want to touch that I did not tell anyone about that is where actually the gold was. <laughs> so if you're listening to this and you have one of those experiences that you've never told anyone about that you don't want to think about that you've built layers and layers of protection around that thing. If you really want to dive deep, like that's where you need to turn to, and it's not going to be fun, but it's definitely going to be something that's going to transform things. So thank you for sharing that and, and reinforcing that. So we have, what's, what's my fear? What's the belief behind that feeling? Continuing to ask that over and over again, and you're going to have some variation of the fact that I'm not enough. And because I'm not enough, I won't be loved. So like find out whatever the heck that is and name and label whatever that experience was that happened in your life. So once we're at that point, what's the, what's the third step? Third step is the million dollar question of what would you want to believe instead? If you can believe anything and you can, because beliefs are just opinions, you know, you just decide whether you're, whether you um, are good enough or you're not good enough. You get to decide you have the power. You know, Henry Ford once said, if you think you can, or you can't, you're right, (laughs) right? It's up to you. And most people don't even know they have that decision. I mean, first, we don't know that we even have these beliefs because they're in our blind spot. And a blind spot means that you don't know it's there. So you could have the very solution to everything you want, but because of this belief, you won't see it. You got to expand your beliefs and go, whoa, there you are, right? And so um, so we've got to understand and recognize where our blind spots are. So I'll give you a quick story on that. So I wrote this One Belief Away book with Joe Vitale because I accomplished a lot and uh, helped people with a lot of stuff, but there were still a few things about prosperity and um, some other challenges that... Um, I was struggling with, and he was the guru at it. I mean, he was great with the law of attraction. He's written 80 books. I mean, he's done a lot of amazing stuff in his life. And so, and he's, you know, about 16 years older than me. So I was having a conversation with Joe and I said, Joe, do you think some people are just luckier than others? Because I was feeling a little down. And he said, well, Tim, he says, I hesitate to answer that question because there's so much victimhood in it. And I'm like, oh. Am I still acting like a victim? That can't possibly be it, <laughs> but it was. And then he, he said this, which really blew my mind. He says, let's say there are lucky people in this world. Why don't you just choose to be one of them? And I'm like, whoa, that was a, a, a belief shift, right? That, whoa, wait a second. I could be one of these lucky people. I could just tell myself I have the Midas touch and no matter where I go, no matter what I do, things just turn to gold because I'm lucky and that's what happens. And, and so then uh, I started telling myself how lucky I am and it made me take big, bold moves, you know, like uh, getting a hold of Les Brown and turning him into a buddy of mine, which then opened the door to, uh, you know, him introducing me to Brian Tracy. And then the doors flew off. (laughs) Then I'm like, Oh my gosh, I believed I was so lucky I could reach anybody. And I did. And I started building the legend summits, you know, and now I'm hanging out with these guys and I'm like, this is the most amazing thing ever. You know, I'll be emailing Bob Proctor one day. And then the next day I'm talking to Dennis Waitley. And then, I mean, it's just like, 
what is happening? Like all the people on my shelves that I grew up listening to. And now all of a sudden, you know, I'm talking to them on a regular basis. And that only happened because I shifted that belief in my brain and that I didn't even know was there. And that's when I knew that Joe had to help me finish that book, which he did, which is awesome. So, so yeah. I, I would love to dive into two things there and uncover them a little bit. One okay. of them is just about uh, the, the people that, that Tim has been able to add to his network. Because if you're listening to this right now, one thing I want to get across to you is that people are much more accessible than you may think they are. Like mm-hmm. you, 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 I, I know it's, it's really hard to believe. You may think that these people are way too busy, but if you can come across in a very genuine giving way and develop real relationships with people, it's easier than you may think. I will say, and I, I was just talking with Tim beforehand. He hasn't officially booked book, but I got a yes from him, but I, I there's somebody I reached out to that is the basically created a multi-billion dollar toy industry. And he said yes to coming on the show. And I just sent him an email and I followed up and I, you know, obviously I, I use my magic connection method process to develop the relationship, but just, I just wanted you to listen to what Tim said there is because the people that he looked up to his whole life, that he listened to the audio tapes with, those people that you're looking up to right now, you can definitely develop relationships with them in the right way. And that is such a powerful understanding to have because that opens up the whole world for you. So that's one thing. The other thing I wanted to comment on, Tim, and I'm curious to get your opinion on this. I interviewed somebody else on the show that is one of my, another incredible thought leader when it comes to mindset. And one of the things that they said that I thought was really interesting is that Lots of the times affirmations actually do worse. They, they don't do as good as, as you may think is because if your unconscious mind doesn't believe in this thing and you're saying it over and over and over again to your unconscious mind, your unconscious mind is basically just like, this isn't true. This isn't true. And it actually creates a bigger gap. So I'm just kind of curious, do you agree with that? And then, and then um, it, it, I, let me just, let me start with, do you agree with that? Or would you add something to that? I would say that that can certainly happen. Affirmations are still great or or what Dennis Waitley calls confirmations. You're confirming what you want to believe. It's more of your choosing this. And there's two ways to upgrade your mindset, you know, in your unconscious mind. And one is going in and doing the beliefs work. Um, The other part of it is telling yourself a new story and affirmations is part of telling yourself a new story. And Mm. so I think that, um, that affirmations can be very good. But the reason that a lot of positive thinking and affirmations do not work is exactly because of what you said there's a belief underneath it that caused you to not believe it. And so it's like cutting the top of a weed off. You got to get to the root and pull it out at the root and then plant that flower. Well, the affirmations yeah. are like the flower, but you can't, you can't plant them and really get them to grow until you've pulled out the weed that's, that's preventing it. So is there really a step between two and three then? Because I feel like they're like pulling out the weed almost is like a step 2.5 or it needs to be snuck in there. Because it's like, if I've uncovered this belief that has been driving my entire life, and this is something that, you know, hurts, it's from childhood, it kind of forms my whole worldview. And now I'm just supposed to believe this new thing instead. I feel like that's one of those things. So how do you help people uncover that and make it so that they can actually implement it instead of just being like, oh, I don't really know if I can actually do this. So that's an excellent question. And um, there is a step in there. It's just harder to do on your own because like you said in the beginning, you can't see the label when you're in the jar. You know, it's hard to be objective with ourselves. It's hard to get reframe situations or catch ourselves um, making statements that we think are factual when they're just opinions, you know? And so, um, so it's much more challenging to be able to interrupt that pattern. Um, what you can do. And, and so one of the reasons why I asked, um, where'd you get this idea from? You know, you're not good enough according to who is because then it starts to cause you to, to think about, well, where did I actually pick this idea up from? 
And you'll find that you picked it up, not just from experiences, but often from people who have said things to you intentionally or unintentionally. A parent said something, oh, you're never going to learn anything, you know, and out of anger, a dad said that. I remember a client one time out of anger, he remembered his dad saying, you're never going to know, you're never going to learn anything. And then all of a sudden he started struggling in school and he had a hard time learning, right? And, but there was nothing wrong with him. He just, that belief stuck in his head because it came from an authority figure, you know, that he respected. Uh, It might come from a, a teacher, a pastor, a priest, Uh, a community member or friends, other friends growing up um, where these ideas get stuck in your mind. So if you recognize that that wasn't your stuff, that was their stuff, you know, then all of a sudden it gives you a little bit of wiggle room to say, well, wait a second, then if that was their insecurities and their head trash, does it have to be mine? You know, Mm -hmm. so it can, it can create a little bit of a pattern interrupt there. Another way of, another way of doing it is simply, uh, Asking yourself, and that's why question number three is really, you know, what do you want to believe? And then number four or number three, part two of that would be, um, what would you want to believe that would give you both a sense of peace and also some momentum, right? That you could actually use this belief to get you moving in a new direction. It's important to start um, moving in a different direction once you've upgraded your beliefs so that you can have these new experiences that become your new evidence that proves the new belief can be true for you. So like when I said I was lucky and then I started reaching out to these people and making bold moves and then they responded in a positive way, that reinforced that belief that I'm lucky and it created a new belief inside of me. Mm. So I had to go in that direction. I had to put the seeds in the ground for them to grow and then I could be like, hey, this actually works. Okay, so you got to create some new evidence. Most of the time, what happens, Brandon, is that people will look at their past and they'll say, look at all these um, experiences that I've had of it not working out. That's why I have the belief that I'm not, that it's never going to happen for me. Well, that's usually not what's going on. What's going on is you had a limiting belief in the beginning of it. Mm. And then because of that limiting belief, you made choices that produced results that were limited for you. And so it wasn't that you got the belief because of the experiences, the belief was already in there and it created these experiences. Yeah. And that will happen again if we don't upgrade the belief. Yeah. I just wanted to jump in here really quickly and you can add on this or tell me otherwise, but I believe that, you know, you have, if you have all these years of programming for your bad belief and you're trying to form a new belief, one of the best ways that you can begin to form a belief that I found in my life is to count the wins, even, even if they're small, count the like proactive things that you've done. So even if you don't, if you you decide, okay, I'm going to be lucky. I'm going to have the Midas touch. I'm going to reach out to some really cool people. If you reach out to them and they say, no, you can't count the, you don't respond to you. You have to count the fact that you sent the email to begin with. And like, you have to view, you have to really view that as you know, you instilling this new belief. And then, you know, my Blair Dunkley, who's been on the show, it's like, what was effective, what was ineffective and what would you move what would you do differently moving forward? If you just treat, if you just treat, count your wins, move forward and then say, okay, what's going to work and improve from there. It's almost like the backwards. It's the opposite effect of you being programmed all those years of having this other bad belief, but it's the opposite moving forward is counting your wins and then constantly improving from there. So is that, is that something that you teach as far as kind of reprogramming these brains for pe- these people? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's good. That's very good because um, what you focus on, you move towards. Yeah. 
right? And so if you're focusing on counting wins, you're going to start to notice more of them and then you're going to start to have more of them. When I first reached out to Les Brown, I was really nervous about it. Whether I felt lucky or not, I felt I was nervous about it, but I made the call anyway and I felt good that I made the call. He didn't call back. And, uh, and so I'm like, okay. And then I was like, well, maybe, you know, who, what, what was I thinking? You know, that Les Brown would, why would he want to talk to me anyway? He's like the number one motivational speaker in the world. You don't even know who I am. But then I had to change that belief again. There's another fear, you know, that I'm not good enough or special enough for, you know, for him or talented enough. I haven't acquired enough stuff for him to give me the time of day, which is all false. It's false. He's just a normal guy trying to figure it out. Like, like we have, you know, and, and had success, but is always looking for the next success. So, you know, he's just an, a normal dude. And, uh, and so then uh, a couple of months later, uh, I had the courage to, uh, I was outside and I was cleaning my pool and, and uh, all of a sudden the idea to call Les Brown popped in my head again. And I took it, I acted on it. You know, Joe Vitale always says money loves speed. So if you get an idea, act on it. And so um, I had the impulse to call him again. And so I got up my phone and I called him immediately and he answered and that changed everything. <laughs> right. And so um, that created the relationship and he didn't even get my first call. Right. For whatever reason. And so, uh, you know, but I would have this whole story about, oh, he got it. Right. But he, why would he, you know, all that blah, blah. So. Um, so, yeah, you're right. Count the wins. And then keep focusing on what you can do to create some more wins. And then uh, with that new belief, and you don't have to 100% believe it, it is the slower approach doing it this way. When people go through my one belief away method through our master classes, when we shift that belief, it shifted. You come out of it believing you're enough. You know, that's the power of, of what we do when I get into your mind and start to, to um, customize what I call a tailored paradigm shift for you. <laughs> because, uh, you know, I'll know what objections are in the way, what's sabotaging you and what uh, we need to do to create that shift. So it creates instant certainty. And when you create instant certainty, then all of a sudden uh, you don't have to talk yourself into this new belief. You just feel it. And it's very powerful. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I know we're running up on time here. So let's, let's get these last few steps in here. So what is my fear? What's the belief that behind that feeling, what do you want to believe instead? And then we're missing two. So what are the, what's the next one? So the next one is, um, if you totally believed this new idea about yourself, like I am enough, uh, I'm a lucky person. I've got the Midas touch, uh, whatever it may be. If you believe that you are enough, then, uh, what bold move would you make? I mean, what, like a, like a step change, like a, a game changing move, you know, what big mold, uh, big move would you make? Would you reach out to a company? Would you call a, a I don't know, for millennials, maybe a Gary V, <laughs> you know, or Russell Brunson, maybe, or someone like that? Would you, would, um, what would be a big, you know, domino effect? How they say if you got a big domino and you push the big domino over, all the other little dominoes will, will fall over. So, if you have that really amazing belief, what's the next big mold or big move you could make, or where's the place you've been resisting? And then what if you went in that place? Right. And, uh, and so it helps you to prioritize your high value activities so that you're spending 80% of your time doing the stuff that's going to make the biggest impact. People spend 20% of their time doing that and 80% of their time on stuff that's kind of wasting time, really. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
you know, you'll spend a hundred hours to try to get five people to like a video. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> you know, we end up creating a, a list of uh, consumers, but we're not creating a list of buyers. And so you can put countless hours into creating social media and hey, you got more likes, but that didn't put any money in your bank account. So, uh, so figure out what that big, bold move would be for you. And then step number five is take action. Do it. Do it now. Right? Just act on it and do it. You get that insight. You get that, all right, yeah, I have clarity now on exactly what that big move would be. Just do it. Because when you do it, when you jump in the water, you realize it was not as bad as you thought it was going to be. In fact, it was way easier and a lot better when you, than you thought it was going to be. And so um, you know, that's really a simple five-step formula that'll help you to start to shift what you're focusing on, get clear on the big, bold move you can make, and then do it now, do it now, do it now. Yeah, I love that. And just to encourage people to actually implement this kind of stuff, one thing that I found to be very valuable for me is that every two weeks, I, I run in two-week sprints. So I kind of like set what I want to do at two weeks at a time. But at the beginning of those two weeks, I have like a list of exercise that I can potentially run through. And this would be something that like, if you do something on that increment, if you're setting goals on a quarterly basis or a, uh, a weekly basis or a monthly basis, however it is, if you kind of run through this more and more and more uh, on increasing intervals and trying to always ask, cause you're always going to have new fears. Um, so I would just encourage you to not look at this as like a one-time thing, but something that you revisit, um, over time, because that's really where the gold comes from is if you consistently do these kinds of things and understand what the deep seated beliefs are that are actually holding you back from getting what you want. Because like, like Tim said in the very beginning, it's not the marketing tactics. Lots of the times it's the stuff that's inside of your brain. So this is a great tool. And thank you for sharing that to, to allow us to peel back the onion on that. Yes. You're welcome. Awesome. Well, I know we're, we're up on time here, Tim. So where can people find out more about the incredible stuff that you've going on? I know you have the, the one belief away book and uh, you know, you have a YouTube channel and all that stuff. So tell us where we can find out more about the incredible things you're doing. Yeah. You can find the one belief away book at Amazon. I would start there because it's amazing. It will really take you through so many tips, tools, and strategies for how to upgrade your mindset for prosperity and inner peace. And then you get the wisdom of both myself and uh, Dr. Joe Vitale. So it's great. Uh, you can also, I'll give everybody that's listening to your show VIP access to a new program, an audio program I just put together. It's awesome, called The Power you. of Your Unconscious Mind. So if you go to PowerMindsetProgram.com, PowerMindsetProgram.com, uh, you're going to have, it's a five-hour video program, but I turned it into audios as well. And it just teaches you uh, through lots of fun, entertaining stories, how your mind works and how to start using your brain uh, and the power of your mind to create your life by design. Awesome. Love that. So go check out One Belief Away on Amazon and PowerMindsetProgram.com. And once we get show notes up, we'll make sure to have that available for you. But I just want to say thank you so much, Tim, for coming on. Really appreciate it. And thank you for helping us overcome some unconscious beliefs. It's been a blast. Yeah. Thank you so much. Your, your questions and how you dissected it was outstanding. And so I really appreciate you and all the good work that you're doing, Brandon. So good job and keep it up. Thanks so much, Tim. Hey, it's Brandon here again, and I have a quick favor to ask before you head off, and that is if you are listening to my voice right now, 
and you are currently using either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It would help me a ton if you could stop what you're doing, take five seconds to tap the number of stars that you think the show deserves. So if you're on Spotify, there's a place to add a star rating right underneath the name of the show. And if you're listening on Apple, just scroll down where you're seeing all the episodes and there's something that says tap to rate. Just tap the number of the stars that you think the show deserves. And you may not know this, but I typically spend over five hours of my own time each week just researching a guest on the show. And then there's the time that's spent recording the show, the intro, reaching out to new guests, and of course, all the editing, publishing, promoting that my amazing wife and high school sweetheart, Leah, helps me to manage. So all that to say, there's a lot that goes on just to get to the point where you listen to this episode. So if you appreciate the content and have 10, five to 10 seconds to spare, it would help a ton if you could leave a quick rating on the show. Extra credit if you choose to leave a review, but just tapping whatever stars you feel the show deserves helps a ton and it takes so little time. So whether you choose to do that or not, I so appreciate you and I'll talk with you soon.